Welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where we strip away the layers to show you what it takes to achieve a healthy body and brain in 20 minutes. I'd like to invite you to go over to BareNakedHealthPodcast.com to take your free brain quiz today to see where the health of your brain lies. And for taking the quiz, you'll get a free copy of my book, The Four Morning Secrets to Perfect Brain Health, shipped to your door. Answer whatever you like. Perfect, man. All right. Well, guys, Bare Naked Health Podcast here, and we have on the line uh, Dan Hellman. And Dan, I'm going to just ask you to start off kind of telling us a little bit about your health journey. And I like to ask in 10 sentences or less. So I want to put that little bit of a challenge out for you to start to see where, where you've been, where you come from, and where you are now. Well, my health journey is always ongoing. Uh, you know, it started full time when I was when I met Mr. Paul Check, and I became uh, a student of his, and now a faculty member. And so I really have to credit Mr. Check to uh, to basically opening my eyes to uh, an alternative or a holistic way of living. So you know, my journey started there, and it's still unfolding in front of me as we speak. And I think that's uh, that's a fantastic just. People have to understand, like, it's not always about where they've been. It's not where they are right now, but it's also where are they going? What are they doing now that's going to affect the health of their future? And that can be something that's overlooked when we're always uh, just trying to get by with today. It's like, no, hey, enjoy what you have coming. Uh, As long as you're taking care of your body, I think you have a great health in your future. And that certainly seems to be the case for you. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I look back on my childhood and, you know, God bless my mother who, you know, she's 80, 88 now. And, uh, but I think back and I, I was reminiscing with one of my brothers uh, a couple months ago when we were on a golfing trip. And I don't think either of us ever had any type of fresh vegetable or <laughs> fresh fruit or anything like that. Everything was either <laughs> or microwave to death or McDonald's. It was really kind of an interesting childhood growing up in, in small town in North Dakota. So, uh, yeah, I don't want to look back because when I look back, it's it's really kind of interesting, the, the stuff that we used to do. So it's, you know, the foundation was set down when I was a small child, but now I just keep moving forward and, you know, trying to take care of myself the best I can, with, especially with all the travel that I have. And I, I think that's a great thing too. Like you, you've, you didn't have the healthiest upbringing. You didn't have, I mean, everything uh, just given to you, like shown to you. But you were able to learn that. And I think that's something that is sometimes overlooked is people don't understand that no matter where they've been, no matter where they are right now, they can still make that change going forward. And I, I've listened to you speak other times, and I know uh, actually that you're a fan of cooking and stuff too. So like. What are, what are either like some of your favorite recipes? Like, what is something like some of the staples that you're making now, day in and day out? Like, especially not having that necessarily background cooking growing up. Yeah, when I cook, I don't, I don't really enjoy cooking. If I'm, if I'm honest, I don't enjoy doing it. But okay. I absolutely love to eat, and so when I cook, it's really basic, and and I. For my thing, my 
goal is that I try to eat at every meal, I try to eat the best quality food that I can eat, that I can get. Because I know that our food supply has been absolutely in, inundated by Monsanto and, you know, and big agro, big agriculture. And, you know, I, I used, you know, I studied the metabolic typing diet. I've, I've studied pretty much every diet type in the world. And I just came to the conclusion at the end of the day that at every meal, I want to get the best quality protein, the best quality fat, and the best, carb and the best quality carbohydrate I can get. And so when I cook, it's just basic, like, you know, you know, you know, I'm good at cooking eggs and bacon and, you know, I'm good at doing any type of meat, any steak, fish, chicken, pork, I mean, you know, I, I keep it simple. And then the other thing that I do is I try to, if I ever have a below ground vegetable, I always try to have an above ground vegetable. So I'm always trying to balance my three macronutrients as much as I can. And sometimes I need more protein, sometimes I need more fat, sometimes I crave more carbohydrate. I kind of just listen to my body. But as far as cooking and having a, a, a recipe that I like, I, for me it, it doesn't exist because when I cook, it's really basic. And, and in the last couple of years, I've actually hired someone that basically drops off food in my house once a week. And I just found it it's actually saves me money. You know, if you find the right person that can go out and shop for you and they get good quality food and they make it, they bring it and I just reheat it, you know, it just saves a lot of my time and effort. And uh, at the end of the day, really, I can't get out of Whole Foods for under 50 bucks a visit every time I go. So when I start budgeting this out, it's really, it's really pretty much a wash and I don't have to cook. So I only cook part of the time now. I don't cook all the time. But, uh, you know, that's a little bit of a luxury that I allow myself to have. We all have our little thing where we tend to spend money on. And for me, if I can get myself out of the kitchen and have somebody else do it, I'm, I'm very happy. <laughs> that's, that's something that was just a great point you brought up, though. Being able to still be as healthy as possible, but free up time to do other things that you love, that you're yeah. passionate about. It's... It's not always easy to do because we always hold on to things and think that, well, you got to squeeze the pennies together there. But you, you said you budgeted it out and you can actually do that because they're probably doing that for several people is my guess. Like I, I've talked to other people that do that and a lot of times they, they'll get, they can buy everything in bulk then. They can do a lot. So they're cooking for several people or several families all at once and it's what they love to do so they can make a living doing it. And then they can share that with others. They can share the great food with others so that they can stay healthy as well. Well, absolutely. And, and fortunately, in my case, th this particular individual cooks for several of my clients. And I'm the one that gave him the clients to, you know, to start his business. So, you know, he takes care of me, and, you know, when he cooks for me. But I just kind of started coming to the conclusion where, you know, I get up in the morning. I, first thing, I'm, I'm in the kitchen in the morning, you know, cooking breakfast. I have to get my lunch ready to take to work. I come home, I'm in the kitchen. You know, it just seemed like I never had any free time to do some of the things that I really wanted to do to take care of myself. So for me, it was a bit of a no-brainer if I was going to spend a little a little extra money. I would rather have somebody preparing some food for me. And uh, it's something that this person loves to do. And you know, again, I don't. I don't really enjoy cooking, but I can. So for me, it was a bit of a no-brainer. Now, I... I... I remember the first time I met you. I know you're a coffee fan, though, right? 
I love espresso. Yeah. Espresso. So, so what is what is your perfect cup of espresso look like? Are you adding anything to it? Is it is it just plain black by itself? What are you going with there? No, ultimately, uh, like if I'm going to like if I'm going to do a, a cycle, if I'm going to cycle in the morning or swim or run or something, I may do the espresso just a one single shot. And for me, a true espresso is a single shot of espresso, not a double. Uh, I think the true connoisseurs kind of get that mixed up, but a true, a, a true espresso is really a single shot. Uh, so it's not a lot of coffee, and but most of the time I'm either adding a little bit of uh, melted raw butter to it or a little bit of uh, coconut oil, refined coconut oil, so it doesn't have a flavor. Uh, that's typically what I'll drizzle in, in the espresso. And, you know, my favorite is definitely the butter. It's, there's really nothing better. I agree with you on that one. <laughs> and it's interesting, you know, I, with all my travels, whenever I get to the place, I, wherever I'm going to, I always search two things. One, organic food, and two, the best espresso bar in the city. <laughs> so, there you go. You're you know, all set then. Yeah. You know, you got to have your thing, right? Now, one thing that uh, frustrates me a little bit is you said, like, the organic raw butter. The state of Pennsylvania, I mean, right next to New Jersey, people come all the way, all over here, over the, all the time. They're they're buying raw milk and stuff like that, but you cannot sell raw butter in the state of Pennsylvania, and it's one of those that's beyond me. I I just don't even understand. Raw milk's legal. The raw butter, no go. You will you will get arrested for that. I, I yeah, I, it's <laughs> very very strange, and you know I have. To, you know, the guy that cooks for me always brings the raw butter for me. So he gets it from, I'm sure he's getting it from Pennsylvania as well. So it's interesting that they can't be ships uh, put on the shelves. But <laughs> Now, you were talking about uh, like maybe biking, maybe running, swimming, something in the morning. Is that, is that when you generally like to do your movement practice or do you have several movement practices throughout the day? Ideally, the best time to work out is when your cortisol levels are kind of at their peak. So, you know, really for me, it would be around 10 a.m. I don't really have that luxury. Um, so I'll usually typically do a bike ride in the morning around 6.15 or I'll do a swim around 6.15. And then if I'm going to do weights, I always block off. You know, this is something really important. I finally had to I finally had to go into my schedule and tell my assistant that I no longer want to be bothered between the hours of 12 p.m. and 2, and between 12 noon and 2 p.m. And so that's usually the time where I try to get in uh, my workout, my weight workout. It doesn't always work, you know, that way when you run your own business, of course, things come up. So, you know, I typically do my cardio in the morning and then, uh, because it's a group thing, you know, I'm. I'm, I'm riding with a group of guys, and but then the weight training is on my own, usually in my office, and I just block between 12 and 2. I, I just think as long as people aren't working out, you know, as the cortisol rhythms go uh, go down, as the circadian rhythms start, as the sun starts setting, as long as they're not working out later in the day, I think it's okay, and the main thing is just to get in there and move your body. And I think that's, that's a fantastic point. I, I, I agree with myself. Uh, certain days I have where I have that luxury to work out mid-morning type thing uh, and I, I guard that very very closely because I know how important it is to me if I'm doing it now later in the day uh, I notice how my sleep gets affected and whatnot and it's just hey I would rather set that time aside enjoy it 
and not have it affect the rest of my day. Sure. Uh, but so going off of the working out though, because uh, I was just I, I just heard this recently, and the, it was college football. I'm a big college football fan, and they're talking about just the absolute amount of injuries this year. It's been it's only the what the third week I think, but injuries have been through the roof, and but we still hear about people working out harder, they're training harder in the off season, all this in the gym. But why do you think? And this isn't just college football. I mean, this is athletics as a whole. I feel injury rates have just gone through the roof. I mean. What do you think some of the reasons are for this? There, there's several, you know, and, and in no particular order. Number one, again, the uh, the the insult on our food supply. Um, you know, what Paul Check calls piss poor protoplasm, <laughs> and, and you know, I'll use uh, for example, I did a blog uh, last year on Derek Rose. And Derek Rose, and it's, this is no secret, if you Google it, Derek Rose has a addiction to candy. Um, Skittles, Twizzlers, I mean, he's a candy junkie. Listen, I don't care what your workout schedule is, what your body, you know, what your genetics are. If you, if you live on foods that don't build healthy tissues in your body, there's going to be injuries. And let's face it, I've been around a lot of collegiate athletes, professional athletes, weekend warriors, and for the most part, their diets are horrendous at best. So that's, that's the first thing. And there's even been older surgeons that say, you know, surgeons that are still in their you know, 60s and 70s that are still doing surgery, and they compare back to when they were doing surgeries surgery when they were in their 30s and the difference in tissue quality of what they're operating on. Um, I think that that's a big player, number one. Number two, I think our fitness industry has really gone down the train, to be honest with you. And it's gone, it, it goes in these weird cycles from machine training to functional training that func some of the functional training just doesn't make sense with what people are doing, you know, standing on Swiss balls on top of a mattress and wiggling a body blade. And I mean, it just, we, our, 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 our industry runs in fads. It doesn't run on concrete evidence and proof of, you know, your, or, or science of what actually is good for the body. And I think that's a real big problem. I've been in many, uh, professional gyms and you know every square inch is is taken up by a machine and there's no Olympic platform there's no Olympic lifting because they're afraid the athlete might get hurt when they're working out um, also too you know you think that the professionals and the collegiate level has the best of the best in the fitness and the and the rehab world and I'm telling you they don't it's it's a it's a good old boy network it really is so I think that in conjunction, you know, with the with the with our with the poor food intake, the the poor uh, training programs, the overtraining. Today's athlete, I think, overtrains big time. And you know, Dr. Voye said something. He goes, with everything that I see out there, I would tell the majority of the people not to work out than to work out because the stuff that they're doing is killing their body. You know, he uses the word kill, you know, in a French way and not meaning literally kill, but, you know, hurt and destroy their body. 
And I really think that's true. When you start looking at some of the stuff that these athletes are doing, it just doesn't make sense. And let's face it. We have gravity to deal with on a daily basis. Gravity compresses us. If we're athletes and we work out and we lift weights and we swing golf clubs and tennis rackets and hockey sticks and on and on and on, we are now creating even more compression through the body. And <laughs> athletes don't take time to decompress their body. They don't take time to do myofascial stretching. They don't take time to do corrective exercise. They don't take time to do the ELDOA, which Dr. Givoy uh, created, which is just incredible for athletes. It's all about workout, 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 and they spend very little time, like Paul would say, working in, regenerating, rejuvenating their body, supporting their body, sleeping at night, eating good food, etc. So I think that all just plays into the just the massive amounts of injuries that we're having in today's sports. Now, I, I know uh, you talked about uh, Polchak, Givoye. Like, what would – so you, you talked about the working in. If you want to expand upon the working in or the Eldoas, just so everybody has maybe a little bit more of an understanding of exactly what those are. Yeah, the, the two biggest people that have influenced me in my career are Polchak and Givoye by, by, by far. I mean, I – I look at these two individuals as true leaders in the health and fitness industry and the rehab industry, and they're people that I have spent a lot of time and a lot of money studying under. Paul has always, Mr. Polchek has always drilled into his practitioners that there needs to be a balance. There needs to be a balance between working out and working in. So. Working, or you look at it as yin and yang. You know, working out is yang, and working in or relaxing and repairing is yin. It's just the, it's just two sides of the coin. I would go out on a limb and say that because of most athletes' nutrition and lifestyle principles, that the majority of athletes actually overwork for what their body can support. And you see that on a regular basis with all of the breakdown that's happening. You know, the chronic injuries, the, the ACL injuries, the, I mean, the, the different tendonitis. And it's just, it's just an onslaught. And you're really starting to see that in the CrossFit industry where, you know, they just go in and, and it's a badge of honor to get robbed of myelitis for Christ's sake. So, you know, how much can we just beat the hell out of this person and get away with it? So... There's a cost for that, and if you're, it's like burning the candle at both ends. If you're always working out, if you're not eating right, if you're not sleeping at night, you know, if you're not hydrating your body properly, if you're in a job that you don't like, if you're in a relationship that you don't like, there's going to be breakdown. There has to be, right? There just has to be. So that's what I would say about Mr. Mr. Paul Check. And Dr. Voye has taught me some techniques. Um, especially the ELDOA, which the ELDOA is a, is a French acronym that stands for, when translated to English, stands for Longitudinal Osteoarticular Decoaptation Stretching. It's this real long terminology. But basically, layman terms, and there's a, an ELDOA for every joint of the body. And when you do the ELDOA, you actually decompress the joint. You actually open the joint space. Well, wow, there's a novel concept. I mean, we're always compressing our joints, so wow, 
let's open our joints now. And, you know, people say, well, there's, we've done passive traction for years. Yes, that's passive. This is active. This is you doing it to yourself. You're actually strengthening your body in extreme end range of motion. If I could talk to any athlete on the planet, if they asked me, what's one thing that you recommend I do in the physical uh, fitness aspect, hands down the old doa, because it's the one time when you actually open the joint space. And there's more to it than that, but if I'm saying if there's one thing, it's the old doa. So I think, and I've worked with several athletes now, and some of the athletes are actually getting it, football players and hockey players and, and uh, runners and things like that, they're starting to get it. It's a slow, it's a slow burn, but uh, a lot of this information is finally making its way into uh, professional sports, and it's, it's definitely not happening fast enough, in my opinion. And I, I certainly agree. I mean, uh, the, the, the techniques that I've learned from Paul, the techniques I've, I've learned from you, I've learned just studying some Gui's work online that I could find. I mean, all of it's been fantastic. And even just doing the Aldo's, they, they just feel good flat out. I mean, some of them can be very challenging depending on the posture uh, that you have to be put in. And people talking about uh, even just getting back to, well, working out. Well, I mean, some of that can even be pretty darn intense in itself, uh, especially if your posture is just not up to snuff, really. Uh, you're certainly going to be working hard. Going off of some of his work, I saw you did, uh, I think it was a few months back, a blog on concussions then too, which are another thing that we're seeing just exploding in, in sports. And, and I think elsewhere, like traumatic brain injuries a lot, just not just in sport, but in life. And what are, what are some techniques I, I saw that you talked about, the different ones, different things you can do? I mean, it's tough to maybe communicate it just... Uh, talking about it, but sure. you want to explain upon that a little bit, please. Well, yeah, so uh, right now the biggest, the biggest threat in the NA, NHL and NFL is concussions, by far. It's, it's, it's their number one concern. And I say that loosely because I still think a, um, it's a lot of it is being, the majority of it is being swept under the table still. Uh, and a lot of athletes are getting hurt, and they're, they have nothing... They have no support to fall back on after football. And I, I personally have had some ex-NFL players tell me this, that you know their support is it's not there when they need it. And that's very unfortunate. So professional sports has become a really big business, big business. And unfortunately, kind of like our soldiers, once they get done in battle, they're kind of cast off to the side and they're not taken care of. Um, so the concussions, uh, maybe it's changed a little bit this year, but the policy in the past was basically after you get a concussion, they do their concussion tests and they basically leave you alone and put you in a dark room for X amount of days and there's really nothing that they do. But there's a lot of cranial work that can be done, cranial sacral work. I mean, let's face it, you know, if, if you've studied cadavers, of course the cranial bones don't move. The person's dead. But we have sutures up here. These are joints. And wherever there's a joint, there's movement. And the movement takes place with what's called the PRM, which is the primary respiratory mechanism. It's the pumping of the cerebral spinal fluid. 
And a concussion, if we want to break down a concussion and just get really simple with it, and, and a lot of people that specialize in this would probably get pissed off if I say this, but I don't care. A concussion is basically a bruise to the fascia of the brain. And if you know techniques that are able to move the fascia and pump the fascia, why wouldn't you do that for the athlete that's got a concussion? And the simple answer to why not is because there's probably no science behind it. And, you know, nowadays we've gotten into this, this uh, well, that hasn't been scientifically proven. Well, damn it, today's scientist is today's modern-day prostitute. I mean, very, very, very few research studies are independently funded. Most research studies are funded by somebody, and if you don't get the results that they want, they don't publish the study. And doing a research project on a human being is, is really, really, really difficult. Because a human being is a physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual being. And there's no way you can, you can factor in all of those aspects when you, when you do research and stuff like that. The only thing I know is clinical. What happens clinically? And I'm telling you, my clinical experience tells me that if you get to do cranial work on someone right away after concussion, it makes a huge difference. A huge difference. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, and it's unfortunate because there's a lot of people that, that get, it, it, it's a turf battle. It's a total turf battle. I was taken out to a, a, a hockey, I won't say who, I was taken by one of my clients who played hockey for this particular team. I was taken out there to meet all of the therapists and the trainers and uh, the PTs and the Cairo. And, and I'm telling you, they were throwing darts at me with their eyes. You know, and I'm not there to take their job. I don't want their job. I make more money than they do. I don't want their job. I'm just there to help. But when it gets to dealing with, with athletes, it really becomes a turf battle. And it's really kind of sad because a lot of people are in there to actually help other people to help the athletes. And I think a lot of times the athletes just are not getting their best advice. And that's, that's just amazing <laughs> right there. I mean, just giving people what they need. That's, that's what yeah, it is. Yeah, because a lot of teams, a lot of teams, you have to follow the protocol by the team. You know, unless you're a LeBron James or a, you know, or a, you know, a Peyton Manning or, you know, somebody of that Tom Brady or of, of that caliber, you you basically do what the team says. You don't have your own all your own private staff like a lot of the, the really high played athletes do. So, you know, you basically gotta go along with what the team recommends or you get cast out as someone that doesn't want to conform. And, you know, I understand. I understand they have their rules, but you know, darn at the end of the day, a, a lot of the information just is not there to help the athlete. Now, I, I hear you say in a lot, I feel like it's, there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of just, everybody's saying whatever's kind of good for them a lot of times, and they'll just keep talking about it. But what do you see, like, in the future? What, what does your future of health look like? What can people do now to, to make their health better both now and in the future? Like, what is it that they can just go out and do? What can they start doing in their in their home, in their uh, just their environment, what they eat? Like, what does your picture of health look like for the future? It's people 
in order for this to work, people really need, and I hate saying what people need to do, but here it is, people really need to start taking responsibility for what they're creating. Uh, and until they do that, nothing's going to change. Uh, too many people, and I'm dealing with this in my own family right now. My oldest sister has reoccurring stage 4 cancer. And uh, she's relying on a bunch of people in white lab coats to take care of her. And I'm sorry, but they can't take care of her. They can't. All they can do is feed her for more drugs that cause more side effects. So really, what people can start doing right now is start taking responsibility and start raising their voices about their food supply, their water supply, you know, all of the checking around their house for all of these toxic chemicals that people are using on their countertops and in their bathrooms and look at their cosmetics, the stuff that they're putting on their skin. And I mean, it's just, it's endless. We're being bombarded by stuff every day, left and right. And to me, that is the quickest fix is just to start looking in your own backyard, start looking in your own house and stop looking elsewhere. Because there's, I don't care where you live. I travel all over the place. I don't care where you live. If you just are diligent on a computer, you can find a healthy food supply. You can. I don't, it doesn't matter. So I think that's the number one thing that people really need to do. And they need to get back to the basics and the rhythms of life. Um, and like Paul, Paul says it the best. It's, it's almost, Paul has, had to, Paul has had to turn childlike to deal with people. He, so he had to do Dr. Quiet, Dr. Diet, Dr. Movement, Dr. Happiness. Some of the adults that I deal with, they go, well, that's childish. I'm like, yeah, because we're dealing with adult children is what we're dealing with. And we're dealing with people that have lost the rhythms of life. They're staying up until 2 o'clock in the morning when they should be sleeping. They're in jobs that they hate when they should be in a job that they enjoy and that they love to do and that they feel that they're helping society with. They're in relationships that they shouldn't be in. You know, it, it just goes on and on. So really just getting back to the basics of, of life and the basic rhythms of life is what we need to start doing. Now, so get, get, talking about rhythms here, what, what are your rhythms? What, what does a, a rhythm for you look like? And I understand it's going to be different for everybody slightly. Like we're, we're not going to all be on the same rhythm, but... Sure. Give, give us an overview, like maybe like of a day, of a, of a week. I mean, maybe how about let's go when you're at home and then when you're traveling because that's another one that's very challenging for people. And you said you uh -huh. do travel a lot, but you can do it and you can still be healthy doing so. Like you said, sure. the first thing you're doing when you get into a new place is where are you getting that good food at? Where are you getting your espresso? But please go ahead. What what are the, what? And are listen, I'm, I'm going to be you know I'm going to be absolutely hundred percent honest with you. I'm not perfect at all. I, as a matter of fact, I've just finished with you know in the last seven eight years, I've averaged about seventy to eighty thousand miles a year on an airplane. All right, that is very difficult on an individual's body. And over that time, I gave myself a parasite infection, a bacterial infection, and a yeast infection. And I just got done going through about six to eight months of a bug kill. It was brutal. But I did that to myself. I crossed too many time zones. I wore myself out. I was burning the candle at both ends. And what's beautiful about that 
is that I was sent a couple of bugs to make me open my eyes, to make me take responsibility for what I was creating because I was creating it, no one else. No one held the gun to my head and told me that I had to take all these teaching assignments or take all these courses. I did it to myself and then I paid the price for it. But hopefully paying that price for it was a lesson. If you don't do that lesson, if you don't learn the lesson, then that's the definition, you do it again, that's the definition of insanity. So hopefully I'm not insane. So, um, so it's very difficult, and it's difficult for me, but I, I'm doing the best I can now. So an ideal rhythm for me at home is, you know, maybe going for a bike ride about, you know, getting up at about uh, 5.30 in the morning, hitting my bike at about 6.15, uh, getting a bike ride in, coming home, getting a really nice breakfast, you know, and again, everything I try to eat is organic and non-GMO and gluten-free and you can go on and on. I'm always trying to balance my macronutrients. And then um, I head off to the office. Uh, I like to start at about nine with clients. I'll usually see about three clients in the morning and then I will have off from 12 to two. And I'll do, maybe I'll do a little bit of workout if it's, if it's that's what I feel my body needs or maybe I'll catch up on some paperwork or whatever I have to get done, but it's kind of me time. And then um, I'll start my day, my work day again at two obviously after lunch and uh, I'll work I don't usually work like to work past five so I'll just work from two to five I'm done doing the 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 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. stuff I did that in the past I paid my price I don't do that anymore uh, and then when I get home uh, I, I fortunately live right on the intercoastal waterway and I'm on the beach so uh, ideally, when I get home, I head over to the beach and I spend time on the beach. I spend about a half an hour. I either go for a walk or I sit or I go in the ocean and submerge myself. But that is my time. That is my work in time. Uh, so that's ideal for me. And for me, the water is very healing. I always surround myself with water. Uh, I have a fountain in my house. I have a fountain in my office. I live on the ocean. So for me, seeing the water is very calming and very peaceful uh, and then I get back doing that I you know I make a nice dinner and then uh, I'm in bed usually by 9 or 9 30 and that's a night that's a, that's a, a that would be a typical good rhythm day for me that's when I'm in rhythm uh, in the evening I might do a I might do a little reading I might watch a little bit of television I might do a little bit of artwork it just depends it just be kind of depends where I'm where I'm at when I'm on the road, it's a totally different story. Uh, I, I kind of, I baby myself more when I'm on the road. I, I really don't, I don't work out a lot when I'm on the road. I, I just don't seem to have the energy for it. So what I do is I just make sure that I'm always, always finding the best quality food that I can find. And again, um, I'm in bed early. I mean, I'm rarely up past 10 o'clock. That's always been kind of my thing. I've always been an in-bed-by-10-o'clock person then up at about 5.30 or 6. I just wake up automatically. If I keep that rhythm going, I'm really good. When you start crossing the time zones, then it starts to be a bit of a problem. So, you know, when I'm, when I'm traveling, the rhythms get a little bit messed up. And I know that because my body paid the price for it in the past. So now I'm working with a little bit of a concept of if I do travel I need to take the next day off. 
And again, sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't. But at least those are, those are things that I'm starting to say, hey, if I'm going to keep up this travel regimen, I need to start making uh, better choices and, and give myself a little bit more rest in between travel assignments. And I think that's great because that's just absolute practical advice that people can go home and take right now. They, if, if they're traveling a lot, hey, like you said, you make sure you're not overexerting yourself physically then. You're still getting that best quality food you can. Uh, and even at home, yeah, and it's, I, you know, with all my miles, with all my miles, I usually get upgraded to first class, but I don't eat their food. I don't eat the food in the airport because I know, I know what it is. And, you know, so, so what do you that, take with you then for that? Yeah, I take food with me. Like, you know, I'll take Tonka bars, I'll take, uh, you know, apples, I'll take raw nuts, I'll take maybe some leftover food that I had the night before on the plane. Yeah, I, I try to travel with as much food as I possibly can because I, I don't want to eat the airplane or, or the airport food. It's just not, it's not conducive to health. And I absolutely agree. Anytime I travel, it's, every time I, going through airport security, everybody's, all the TSA, everybody, they're always looking at, like, what do you have there? What do you have there? Because I'm taking it with me. I'm not going to be eating that. And it's actually a great thing to help even just educate them because it's other people that you can share with what you're doing to help spreading the message if, if they're into it, they're going to recognize that too and see that you are making that effort, that you can make that effort, and it's not that big of a deal. It's, it's actually pretty simple to do, but uh, traveling feels much better. Uh, even It's still rough to do a lot of times on the body, but just making it as best you can. Yeah, I've had flight attendants come by and say, oh, where'd you get that food from? And I'm, I, I say, listen, this was, I brought it from home or... You know, maybe I'm in Toronto and I had a lady there cook for me. She goes, well, my God, you know, we really, as flight attendants, you know, all we really have is airport and airplane food. And we feel this, this is really not good for us. And I'm like, yeah, I, I really don't know what to tell you. That's kind of the hazards of your job. So, all right, I, I have another, we'll, we'll kind of switch uh, gears here a little bit. And I want to know any health-related purchase that you've made in the last, say, let's say like six months to a year, uh, for under $50, like what's the biggest thing like that you've found, but an inexpensive thing that just really had a lot of bang for your buck? Health-related purchases yeah. under $50. Hmm, that is a good one. <laughs> and that's all right. I mean, this is, this is one that I like to put people okay, on. Okay, oh, something here we will go. probably pop into my head, so let me get back to you on all that All right, one. yeah, let's, let's keep going. So, I'll go with moving on from that. Well, what do what do like your friends and family think that you are just absolute world class at? Say that again. What do your friends and family think that you are like world class, like top, not even one. I mean, tenth of a percent in the world. Like, what is it that you can do better than anybody else that they think that you're? That's what you do. It might be different than even what you do, but what is what is that perception that everybody surrounds you with? I mean, if, if I'm talking about my friends and family that's simple that's the ability to take care of myself I mean when I when I go back you know I'm just thinking of my family when I go I come from a large family of uh, there was eight kids and uh, I'm I don't look like the rest of my family um, you know they kid me every now and then for 
you know, being rigid and strict with what I do, but I think they, they understand. I mean, I'm trying to lead by example. You know, most of my family's overweight. Um, so I would say that, you know, the ability to take care of myself, I think is probably what they would say that I'm, I'm good at. And th- that is just, that, that is awesome for, for people to see, to hear. I mean, just looking at you, like, again, you just look healthy. You look well. Like you said, you have been run down, but you've taken care of yourself. You've, you've start, you're continuing to heal yourself. I should say not, I mean, because it's, as you've said before, when we were talking, this is, this is an ongoing process and sure. to be able to show that to people and for that to be, to be world-class at something like that is just, it speaks volumes about, about your body of work. Uh, I, I, I love hearing that because I, I, I think I, I would love to do that myself. I, I know there are other people that would love to do that themselves, but I think it's important that they understand that they can do that. It, it's, it is very simple. You talked about just a few simple things, getting the, great, the right food, getting the right water, getting to sleep. It, it's not that hard if you just make the little bit of effort. And that's where you said, what's the one thing people could do? It's take responsibility. And start taking that responsibility. It's going to really start changing the world, health overall. Yeah, I mean, because you have... If you do want to change the world, you have to start with yourself first. I mean, you change one person at a time, and you lead by example. And there's really no other way to do it. And that's all I can do with my family because I can either be the guy that leads by example, or I can be the guy that's a jerk when they comes home and they chastises his brothers and sisters and mom for for not doing what I think is appropriate. But again, at the end of the day, it's not my life; it's theirs, and. The little time I get to spend with them, I would rather spend with them in love and compassion, uh, empathy and compassion, love instead of fighting and arguing. And, and that's very difficult to do with people, with, with, with loved ones. Um, families, family's tough because there is a polarization. It's, it's hard to step back and it's hard not to be attached to the outcome when you're dealing with your family. But... Uh, Again, that's a process that I've had to learn as I've gotten older. I'm 45 now, and uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I'm still learning. You know, I'm, I'm still learning from. Who are you learning from right now? What, 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 what do you have any areas of study that you're doing right now? Yeah, I'm big time. I'm I'm, I'm big time in the area of study of manual therapy. Um, I may. I may eventually sit for the Canadian osteopath exam. I don't know yet if I'm going to do it, but I may do that. But I've really kind of gotten back to, you know, as a physical therapist, I went to an osteopath-based school, and then I met Paul Check, and I basically went the holistic lifestyle coaching and, and the and the fitness side of things, and I lost I lost my manual therapy roots. I had really I had a pretty good hand uh, pretty good hand skills. And uh, now I'm trying to get those back again. And uh, the combination of manual therapy, you know, nutrition and lifestyle coaching and exercise, I think is a, is a win, winning, winning, just big time winning combination. So there's a lot of people that come through my door that need therapy. Um, and 
you know, I'm glad that I can start giving that service again now and, and not just working in one realm and, and working in as many as I can. So I've been, I've taken in the last three and a half, four years, I've taken 25 classes from Dr. Roy alone. So I've been kind of on a fast track learning as much as I can from him. And it's, and it's, it's paid off for me and, and my business. So yeah, I'm going to keep going at it. Excellent. And if somebody's searching for a manual therapist, is there, is there any, anything that they can look for uh, when they're trying to find somebody who really is going to have the hands-on skills that they need? That's a, diff that's a difficult one, Nick, because um, after learning from Dr. Boye <laughs> and learning his adjustment techniques and, and the way he finesses around the body and it's so amazingly gentle, when I start looking back about how chiros and other osteopaths and other manual therapists work, it's um, it's a bit harsher, <laughs> but there's a lot of there's a lot a lot of good chiropractors in the world. There's a lot of good physical therapists in the world. There's a lot of really good Czech practitioners in the world. How do you find that particular one? I think that's the million dollar question. Um, Fortunately for the Czech Institute, there's a really good, there's a really good uh, connection. There's a, you know, you can always ring up one of the faculty members and say, hey, do, you, do we have any really good people in Knoxville, Tennessee, or, you know, wherever the person might be? At that stage of the game, I think the best is word of mouth. It's really difficult to do a Google search for, uh, a manual therapist, like I just had a professional golfer on the Asian tour from um, Bangladesh and he needs a chiropractor in, in Japan and I had to go on and I, well, I just found out what this guy did on him and I'm not very happy with, with, with what he did. So it's hard to find a good manual therapist, one that has been using their hands for a long time and and doesn't want to just slap an electrode on your body or do an ultrasound or a massage or a hot pack or some of those childish little things. So I, I really don't know how to answer that question other than by word of mouth and, and ask people that you trust if they have any, uh, any referrals. And I can absolutely respect that. That, that is a very uh, difficult thing to look for because... Oh, did I lose you? I'm sorry? Nick, you there? I am. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, not a problem, not a problem. Yeah. And no, but I can, I can definitely respect that. Uh, being a manual therapist myself, I, it's, I've seen tons of techniques at this point, and there's not always going to be one that fits. Like each person's going to have to find just that individual. And unfortunately, yeah, like you said, you can't, can't just look on the internet necessarily and see that then too. But one last question that I have for you that I ask everybody who comes on the show, and that is. Who who would you want to hear on this podcast? Who is it that you would want to just learn from, to hear talk, hear about what they do, and and so forth? Well, I would love to get. I would love if Doctor Voy was on your podcast. The only problem with that would be that I don't think people would understand him very well. <laughs> um, I think. Have you have you ever interviewed interviewed JP Sears? Uh, no, but I, uh, actually took HLC one with him. I will have to 
contact him and see uh, if he would like to come on the show. I absolutely, absolutely love listening to JP Sears. He's, he's got such an incredible sense of humor. He really does. Uh, <laughs> and he's just a real, real good guy and genuine. And I don't know. I just, he, from the moment I met JP Sears years ago, I just thought he was really, really a fun guy and somebody that you just want to be around and spend time with. Uh, and he's just got just a, a vast amount of information and, and knowledge with working on emotional, mental, spiritual issues. And I really think that would be, um, I think he would be somebody great that listeners would like to hear. Well, great. Uh, I, I will definitely have to get him on the show, Dan. So thank you. Now, last thing, where, where can uh, listeners just find out more about you, uh, what you're doing, what you're up to, if they want to work with you, anything like that? Sure. Uh, there's several ways. Uh, first of all, my website is my last name, which is Hellman, which is just how it sounds, H-E-L-L-M-A-N. And, and I'll put Hel- all of that in the show notes then so yeah. people can go Hellman through there. Um, I have quite a Facebook press, press, uh, presence at uh, Helmolistic Health on my Facebook page. And, uh, you know, you can always email us, uh, info at helmanholistichealth.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well at danhelman23. And, uh, you know, Instagram is helmanholistichealth. I mean, I pretty much have, I think I pretty much cover the whole gambit on social media. And I, when, I'm, when I'm on the road and I'm teaching courses or taking courses, I usually try to put a little blurb on there so people know what we're doing and know what's going on. I have people that um, – I have uh, students, uh, trainers, therapists, chiros, etc. that sometimes come in and spend a day, a half a day, a day, uh, two days. They can, they can name however many days they want. And I put together like a little submersion internship for them. It's carte blanche, whatever they want to do. I don't dictate the syllabus they do. Um, and as far as treating clients, uh, I have clients that come in all the time. I just had a client in from Bangladesh that spent a month here getting rehab. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways that, uh, that my services can be utilized. And uh, just all you got to do is just reach out. The number, my office number is 954-566-0585. And uh, there's just a lot of different ways that we can be reached and that we can be of service. We do a lot of Skype consults as well. Well, excellent, Dan. And thank you again so much for for your time. And uh, just appreciate all that you shared with everybody. I enjoyed it, Nick. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to go check on your brain health by going over to the BarenakedHealthPodcast.com and taking the free brain quiz. By doing so, you can get a free copy of my book, The Four Morning Secrets to Perfect Brain Health, shipped to your door. Also, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health Podcast a positive comment and a five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out and helping to share the podcast with others.